there. Welcome to Isometric, a gaming podcast from a different perspective. I'm Steve Lubitz, and I am here, as always, with a head of development at Giant Space Capriano Wu. How you doing, Bree? I want justice for Maddie and her opinions on Tron now. <laughs> I will not oh my God. sit idly by and let people <laughs> tell Maddie Myers that her opinions about Tron are not correct, and I want justice right now with judge georgia dow can, can i can i ask a clarification no 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 this is not the <laughs> no, you can't. this is not that phase of the trial okay do, no do you want regular justice or robo justice you're um, overruled steve <gasps> continue wow okay. judge dow, um... that's like the story of this podcast you're overruled steve like that should be just be my that's name that's like already the title we already have the <laughs> right, title it's right, done right. done <laughs> Isometric colon, you're overruled, Steve. That's the title of the show. <laughs> so, so if I can make it please the court, uh, Judge Dow, you know, Maddie and Steve are both awesome. But, you know, I think Maddie's opinions on Tron are more accurate. And I would like for the court to formally chastise Steve for his his unfair and pejorative and confiscatory opinions towards towards Maddie. Oh, you see, that's rough because I, I, I absolutely agree especially with Steve being a special snowflake. <laughs> but I, I did like the first Tron, not really the, the legacy one, but I did like the first Tron, so this has put me into a difficult position. Mm. We're, we're probably going to have to bring this to trial in the chat room. Search, search okay. your feelings, Georgia. You know this to be true. <laughs> That's not a quote from Tron, I know. Well, I'm I'm waiting to be introduced so that I can present my case. <laughs> okay, so we also have assistant games editor at Pace Magazine and uh, noted Tron hater Maddie Myers. How are you doing, Maddie? Hello. I would like to address uh, some misconceptions that have been raised by Steve one second ago. I do not hate Tron. I believe my opinion was, and I quote, Tron is fine. Uh, okay, in, in fairness, that was my opinion of Terminator 2, and then that became Steve Hates Terminator. Okay, so. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair. However, you're so wrong about Terminator 2, and I feel like you're derailing this judgment by bringing up Terminator 2 to try to get me off my game, to try to, to, try to rattle me, and it's not going to work, Steve. We're sticking to Tron. Tron's fine. It moves very slowly. I don't think it holds up for modern audiences. I think everybody should rewatch it and see if they like it as much as they liked it in middle school or high school when they first saw it. I realize Steve has rewatched it. I believe that Steve is wrong. Well, I mean, that's nothing new anyway. I mean, that's general. I know, I know. I didn't want to talk about this. (laughs) But also, a bunch of people on Twitter tweeted at me and said they agreed with me about Tron and said that they agreed that it moved very slowly and that it didn't measure up to how they perceived it as a kid. And shout out to those people. You're cool. You're all my real friends. And and, and I had a bunch of people on Twitter tell me that they like Tron and that you were you were misguided. So I think that, well, you know. I... That's why we're going to put it to a vote at our live packs panel. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Who has more Twitter followers? Because that's the person who's probably right, I think. Well, yeah, okay. okay. Well, we can do a combination. We can I'm just combination. gonna, I'm just gonna go shrink down here into a corner with my, with my minuscule Twitter follower count, and uh, this, you know, I didn't expect this, this, uh, this episode to be quite this, uh, quite this pugilistic, but you know, I'm just... <laughs> well, you shouldn't have asked a couple of pugilists to come on your show. Right. What did you think when you were like, Bree? Come on, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. What did you think was going to happen, Steve? 
Did you expect roses and sunshine? I mean, no. This is like you follow you followed me on app.net. You knew what was gonna happen. I, I okay? knew exactly what I was getting myself into. Okay. You should introduce Georgia. Oh, Judge Dow. Judge Dow. So we Dow. also have a psychotherapist by day, senior editor from imore.com by night, and fake internet judge Georgia Dow. How you doing, Georgia? I'm good. I'm about to rule on this. Yeah. I, unfortunately, Steve, you know where it's going. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm... you know. <laughs> Wait, really? I was not expecting this. I, I'm always outnumbered anyway, so I, it doesn't matter. You know, gotta go. Gotta, you, you know how it's going. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh, it's fine. That's fine. Um, I did want to say, so I, I went to NerdLearn yesterday. We talked about the Apple Watch and everything about it. And there were, okay, our people, our isometric fans are the best fans in the whole bloody world. I, that's all I have to say. There was a whole bunch of isometric people that were there. Well, that's awesome. And um, Baron a Teacup did shout Dawabunga while it was live on the panel, which was the most amazing thing ever. And got a uh, limited edition number two hand tricky drawing especially for him. So shout out to Baron a Teacup. Awesome. I haven't even gotten a hand turkey drawing. Well, none of us have, but we don't deserve them. Our fans <laughs> deserve them. I certainly don't deserve them for loving Tron. So, you know, there you go. Well, <laughs> well, we don't oh, really oh, know. Oh, I want, I want a Tron, I want a Tron themed hand turkey now. Like a, like a neon <laughs> hand turkey. <laughs> we can I think, we can I think that. you should dress up as what a panda would look like inside the Tron universe, inside a computer. That's, that's a should, terrifying image. I think you should image. wear that. It sounds really good in my head, though. It sounds and looks good. So, in, in my imagination. In the world of my imagination. So I think you should do it, Steve. Just to, just to prove to me that Tron really is good. Pree, do you still have the neon from when you, uh, from, from when you had your knee surgery and were... Yep. <laughs> you can just put that on. I think that would be yeah. good enough. I'll, I'll just wrap myself in neon and that'll be it. You can borrow well, my crutches. Yeah. I, we should do that. I'll probably need yeah. them by the time we get to the live panel. So Yeah, that's what you should be wearing. <laughs> well, I already have dibs on the panda hat, though. So, I don't know. It's really going to be tough. We're, there's so many silly things we could each wear. And it's just, <laughs> like, impossible to say how it's all going to turn out, you know? Who will wear the panda hat? Spoiler, it's going to be. It'll be like Katy Perry with like rapid, rapid costume changes in the middle of the show. Yeah. People should send us a bunch of money so that we can change costumes as many times as Katy Perry and also have sharks at our panel. I kind of want you, Maddie, to be entering the live panel on the the more you know star that she was riding during the. Singing the poke rap. That would be really good. That would be fantastic. maybe like instead of a star, it's a it's a pokeball that's like exploding into sparkles, and then like I'm the Pokemon that's inside it, and I, that's how I enter the panel. Or or like Kirby. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of options. Yeah. I only have two weeks to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds fine. So I guess if you haven't already guessed, I mean, you if you've been following the news at all this week, you know that Giant Space Cat is, uh, you know, withdrawing <sighs> from PAX, unfortunately. But uh, that. Just because we've gotten some questions this week, that is not affecting us doing the live panel at PAX. So we are still doing our live panel at PAX East in two weeks, which is terrifying. At, with live um, pandas. With live, no, let, don't don't make promises you can't keep, Georgia. <laughs> what do you mean I can't keep If anybody keep this? brings a live panda to PAX East, we won't turn that panda away. It's possible right. that PAX East will turn that panda away. That won't be on us, though. We won't be turning <laughs> the panda away. I just want to make that extremely clear. If anybody All pandas does are allowed. plan to do that. Mm-hmm. It's it, you can blame packs for for any fallout that that might cause. Hey, they said that they needed more diversity. Yeah, I mean, you know, not like biodiversity though. I mean, that's 
I don't know, flora and fauna, I don't think is quite, quite what they were thinking about. Are we telling people to bring mushrooms to PAX? I don't think we should be doing this. <laughs> I feel like this has a high, high chance of being misinterpreted, so I'm going to cut it out right there. No flora and fauna. Don't this is going into terrible idea territory is, is where it's going. <laughs> Whatever you need to really get the most out of our panel is on you. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are even talking about. <laughs> I don't think we ever know what we're talking about, Georgia. We don't. <laughs> um, anyway. So, Brady, do you want to say something? Yeah, I kind of want to give some some context. Okay, sure. Like, <laughs> to, hey to, guys, to, giant space cat's not going to be a giant at, at PAX East. And now let's talk about blah blah blah. No, um, no. I mean, this is this is it's been a hellish week again. Like, it's <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's like a life is a soap opera. Uh, so because of some of the very specific death threats we've gotten, it's not just. It's not just the guy that, you know, flipped his car on his way to my house to deliver justice while he had weapons or the guy that's his best friend that, you know, put on a skull mask and recorded a video explaining how, where, why, and when he's going to murder me. Uh, you know, both those people live in Massachusetts and there have been, you know, other threats I haven't really talked to the press about. Um, all those things kind of added together where, um, you know, I accept risk every day doing this. But my team came to me last week and, you know, they were just like, you know, Brie, I got to say, I'm I'm not comfortable with this. And it, it made me realize I really hadn't thought about my team's perspective on PAX East. So, you know, I kind of called them up one-on-one and talk through their feelings. And, you know, one of the things that's really important is just because, you know, I choose to be kind of a, a public figure on women in tech stuff and, and deal with all this harassment. That's not their choice. Just because they get a paycheck, they, they believe in what I do. But, you know, that doesn't really mean that they're willing to do the same things that I do. And, yeah, there are many ways to you know believe in women in tech and support women in tech, you know, not just being on the front lines. And, you know, it came down to, uh, frankly, fear that with these specific threats, you know, that's a, a non-zero amount of risk that they would be assuming. Uh, to be honest, just as big a consideration were gamer gators coming by and harassing us. Um, you know, every year at PAX East, we deal with a non-trivial amount of harassment already. Last year, we had someone come by and, like, you know, try to touch the butt of one of the women that was cosplaying Holiday. So, you know, just all those things together led to a situation where my team didn't feel safe. I had tried to kind of head this off and to talk to PAX ahead of time to see if there were some, you know, like kind of compromise we could make about it. Uh, but they didn't return my phone calls. So, you know, we pulled out and that's kind of where we are. Um, I made a professional commitment to attend PAX. I will be at PAX. Uh, I'm going to have, you know, security with me the entire time following me around. Um, so, you know, I'll still be at Isometric Live, but, you know, Giant Space Cat is not going to, you know, be there. And this is a very conscious decision to put my employees first. Something that really bothered me about the law and order version of, you know, Brianna, Nita, Zoe was she didn't care about her employees. And that's completely the opposite of, of how I feel. Like they come first period. And, you know, there's no game or trade show that's worth even making someone feel uncomfortable for. So, you know, that's what we're doing. And, and that's really, you know, that's really admirable of you to, to do that and to think of your team's safety, even though you've already, you know, committed to doing the booth and, you know, that's a big, 
a big opportunity to get your game in front of a lot of people. But Especially you know, when we just got greenlit. You yeah, know? but it's, uh, I mean, it's more important that your team is safe than your team feels comfortable. And it's really admirable of you to, you know, to think of them and to consider their feelings, even if it's not, you know, necessarily the best strict business decision. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, it's still a good business decision to take care of your employees and show them that you care about them, too. Yeah, and my team comes first. That's why people want to come work for us. So, you know, there we go. Okay. Should we talk about video games? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard it's hard to just jump back in after. No, I know, that, I know. Especially yeah. since the first topic is like also kind of a kind of a down well, I mean everything's a little it's bit very different. Just a downer show. Today. I thought this was a downer. Spoilers for what I thought of this topic, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's it's all kind of a little bit. Uh, it's a, it's a week of disappointments, basically. Uh, what we're going to talk about, but you know, hopefully we can you know make it entertaining as much as we can. But uh, the the first thing that happened this week, like right after we recorded last week, uh, this interview came out with Peter Molyneux. Mo- Molyneux is it Molyneux? I, I'm Molyneux. Still, it's one of those words that you like. You hear you see his name written all the time, and you never actually had to say it out loud. Um, Molyneux. Molyneux. <laughs> Knee, knee, knee. Oh, good. I, I may not see very, very, very many movies, but at least I can make a Monty Python reference. Good. You're a true nerd. I am. This interview uh, came out on Friday morning uh, with Rock Paper Shotgun with Peter Molyneux. So he has had a um, back in at the end of 2012. He had a Kickstarter for this n- game called uh, Goddess. Is it, uh, this is another one that I don't know if it's goddess yeah, or goddess, goddess but yeah. goddess. God yeah. is us, Steve. Oh, God well. us. Okay, that's that's. I a, mean, uh, I, I I can't not make fun of that. You're Molyneux. <laughs> I don't hate you, dude. I don't. I that's don't. that's really dumb, Maddie. I I was like, what is that title? No, it's and super dumb. It? Everything that's... that he does is like. I mean, what? Okay, I don't want to get into it yet, Steve. Just okay. do the topic. Okay, okay, so. <laughs> So Peter Peter Molyneux, Peter Molyneux is is considered one of the the big names in in game design and game development. Um, he's originally known for some game some strategy games in the '90s like Populous and Dungeon Keeper, mm-hmm. uh, the original Dungeon Keeper. Not he wasn't responsible for the free to play one that EA put out on iOS uh, like last year. I'd say he's more known for Fable these days. Yeah, he is more known for Fable. He did a game some games called Black and White. Fable is probably what most people know him from most recently. And so he did a he, – he was working for Microsoft for a while. He left Microsoft. He went on his own with his studio called 22 Cans. And he put out this Kickstarter for this game called Goddess, which is half of a sandbox and half of a strategy game um, where you're playing as a god and you can raise your own civilization and then you can have your civilization get into war with other civilizations. It had a lot of very big – ideas as often he's kind of known for these big ideas and sometimes those he's more successful than others at getting those big ideas to come to fruition he also had as this was going on he had this app in the in the app store called curiosity where it was just a cube that you would tap on and you would make the layers of the cube go away and that he said that there was this big thing at the middle of it and it would be a you know a life changing reward. So this one person eventually won that, and it was that he become the the god of gods and get some sort of a share of the multiplayer revenue. 
So what happened at the beginning of this week is that they started asking Molyneux what was going on with Goddess, and it came out that he's starting another game, and he put out a video saying that he was going to be, some of the people were going to be transitioning off into this new thing, and that one of the Kickstarter backers was going to be taking over development, and he was going to be stepping back, which uh, caused a lot of a lot of disappointment and some outrage because it sounded like he was abandoning the project. So then this interview comes out on Friday with I, I've never seen an interview like this before. The, the interview starts out. The first question from the interview is, do you think that you're a pathological liar? And, so and that, rough. And that yeah. was that, and that was like Jeez. mild compared to some of the other stuff. It gets I found this really tough to read. It's so long. And John Walker, it gets so mad at Peter Molyneux throughout this interview. And it just like, it's like palpable, the anger between them. I, I found it like, just, it was, it was terrible to read. Ugh. I, ugh. I don't know if you guys felt that way. <laughs> yeah, it was really awkward. Yeah. Like it just, it made me uncomfortable. I totally get that, that, you know, you know, people can be upset, but when you're interviewing someone, yeah. it was it was almost like being watching someone being eviscerated right in front of you. Yeah, um, and it it just seemed like uh, I mean, like I get I get why people are very angry at Molyneux yeah, because, be like, Steve just explained it. Like, he Molyneux is constantly coming up with these really huge ideas. Somehow, inexplicably, he keeps getting funding for them. He's very charismatic. He seems like he can do these things. He promises these magical games, and then they are always disappointing. And it's bonkers to me that he keeps getting funding. But I feel like putting all the blame on his shoulders, I don't know. that There are a lot of people who made decisions that contributed to the failure of each of his games in every case, I'm sure. And he is an idea guy. And I, I just feel like yelling at him on the phone is probably <laughs> not the best tack to take when when you're a journalist like I I was frankly shocked reading this interview I I didn't think it was a good move for John Walker to be doing this can can I can I say something go ahead go ahead yeah thank you <laughs> no it was uh it was I mean I first saw this article when you know Brenda Romero was you know, she put it up there and she was like you know this this really made me so uncomfortable that I couldn't read past the first word of it and you know like that first question do you think you're a pathological liar and i could tell you being on the other side of this something that is exhausting about being a game developer is the entitled public that you're dealing with and it just this is what was really hard for me to understand about john walker's anger i mean if he had invested in the kickstarter then i kind of understand it but it's like he he actually felt like offended on his behalf and i understand that like i understand that peter has a has a, a well deserved reputation for being an exaggerator and yeah you know, george i'd love your perspective on this next part but he's he falls into a personality type that I see as the dreamer. This is a, a very specific personality type that isn't concerned with details and they're kind of idealists and they kind of, I truly don't believe he's like a liar, like sits there and no. makes a conscious decision to tell a lie. I think he's just like a big, I think he's a dreamer and I think he's probably a bad person to lead a project. Um, but I think it's like, 
that's also what makes him kind of into these abstract games. So, you know, it's his weakness and it's his strength. Um, so I was, I guess I'm really tired of it being open season on game developers. And maybe that just feels personal to me after like the, the shit show that was Rev60 on Steam. Yeah, maybe it's because I feel bitter about that from like so many people attacking me because they don't want to play my piece of art. That's fine. It's not for you. And I just, to me, this speaks to a bigger problem of an entitled consumer. Um, it, it, frankly, it, it felt unprofessional to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had people that did interviews for The Guardian that didn't cross that line. Like there were plenty of other interviews that were reasonable and respectful. And I think that you can ask those tough questions without being a jerk. So uh, my, my reaction to this when I was reading it is, I mean, I don't, I, I don't do game dev, but I am in IT. I do development for a living. Yeah. And when I read this, my immediate reaction was this, the, the interviewer sounds like somebody who has never been around a development project before. Yep. Because or like any project of any kind. But specifically a development project. Because, I mean, again, game dev, and I know that, you know, just knowing what I'm doing, for, you know, in my day job compared to what game dev is, is like an order of magnitude. Like what I'm doing is an order of magnitude less comp- less complex than putting a game together. And yeah. I've been on projects where I've had, you know, where things have slipped because things have been, you know, you you have a set of requirements and you start building towards them. And then you end up finding that there's something that either you hadn't considered or something changes underneath you, which is what it sounds like here, too, that there were there were middleware issues that they had to change the middleware midstream and that added a whole bunch of time. And, and it's like a list of things that just kind of happen in the course of a development project that some of them you can plan for and some of them you can't. Well, hold on a second. I have to say something about that. I, I have no doubt that Peter Molyneux is a bad person to put in charge of a dev team. Oh, no doubt. What, what makes you a good dev team leader is building consensus, leading your team, being very specific about what the goals are, and being utterly ruthless at, at killing things that go outside of that goal. And it, it's very clear from his personality that like he, he's not aware of his team's feelings. Like You can read that from feedback of other people that have worked for him. He changes directions constantly. He's not sure where he's going. And, you know, that's just not someone you want to put in charge. So I have, it's very easy for me to believe this studio is failing. And I'm happy to put that on his shoulders. But there's a, an adult conversation you can have about that in a, in a childish conversation. Like I said, I was really shocked by this interview in that I think it was very poor journalism and really unprofessional. And I, I actually haven't seen John Walker do something of that type before where I've, I've read something of his and been like, wow, I'm shocked by how bad this is. In this case, I was really shocked. I don't know why he felt so personally angry. And I feel like he let that personal anger get in the way of getting a good story, a good interview. And I don't think he should have done the interview. I think he should have assigned it to someone else um, and realized that he couldn't do it. And I, I mean, we have in our show notes, Laura Kate Dale did an interview with Peter Molyneux for The Guardian, and I read her interview. I thought it was much better. Um, she didn't seem like she was taking too much of a personal investment in it. She still was hard on him, but 
she asked questions. It, she didn't print the whole interview. She wrote a feature, but it's a similar type of story. Um, and I, I frankly thought it was a more interesting piece. And I, I feel like it's hard to navigate that road. If you're so emotionally invested in some game that you can't cover it fairly, you have to actually realize that about yourself. <laughs> I mean, like, that's exactly the type of ethical question that games journalism, <laughs> games journalism is about, right? Like, you have to realize when you're too emotionally invested in something to cover it, right? That's not just games journalism. That's that's everything. And I, I think John Walker, I, I don't I don't know. I don't think he should have done this story. And I, I, I don't know what happened behind closed doors and the decision of that. But, I mean, he runs Rock, Paper, Shotgun. He's the EIC, so he can decide. He can assign himself this kind of story. So there wasn't really anybody to stop him. And it's funny because Peter Molyneux kind of has the same problem, right? Like, nobody is saying no to him either. This is a situation where two very entitled people got very angry and all of it was transcribed probably by, you know, some hapless intern, I hope. Or maybe John Walker did all of his own transcription. <laughs> so, like, assign it to one of your several other reporters, dude. It's okay. Like, just assign it to somebody else if you're too close to it. I, to be a little bit hard on Molyneux for, for a second, though, I do feel like Peter Molyneux is not the only man I can think of in the games industry who has inexplicably continued to get funding for being an idea man instead of actually producing results that make sense and are coherent. Like, I've heard similar claims about Ken Levine, for example, and, like, other guys in the industry. Um, and I, I feel like that is a culture problem in the games industry. I don't know if you want to try to speak to that, Bree, if you agree or not, but I think... <laughs> I think that the games agree. industry allows yes. men like this to continue to succeed and that perhaps they need to have somebody else keeping them in check and actually making sure they're a good boss as opposed to just a cool guy who keeps having cool video game ideas ad infinitum. Well, I mean, look, let's let's be honest, Maddie. You and I are popular figures in the, the game development world because we're strong personalities. And, like, something that really bothers me about game development is... Yeah, I have a strong personality. People like me or don't like me. But the truth is, like, Maria's the one that did a lot more of the programming of the game than anyone else. And, you know, is she heralded? No, because Maria's like a, a level 2000 introvert, you know? I mean, she's not going to go out there and do press. And this is an industry that your know, cult of personality is a fair descriptor. You know, Ken Levine, I mean, you know, look at all the people that you know in this field. And it's because they're entertaining to listen to and to watch. But should they be in charge of a development team or should they be the idea guy? Peter Molyneux should not be in charge of a development team. Like he may be able to raise the capital because of his celebrity. But I mean, you know, his reputation is not good with game developers. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not betraying anyone's confidence. His reputation sucks. He's people that have worked on dev teams with him have problems with it. I've never met the guy, but... You know, he should not. Be. I don't understand how he can recruit people. I, I really don't. So I think turnover is high in a lot of these situations. And like young people who don't yet know the reputation that these visionary game developers have will come in and work for them because they like their games and they're so excited about that celebrity name. But then they actually work there and they're like, oh, this is terrible. So, I mean, if you look at the turnover and it's really high at any game development studio, then that's usually not a good sign. Yeah, but there's still a difference between, like, not being an effective development lead and being a liar. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's definitely, like, and 
And, and I mean, Georgia, like what, where do you think Georgia, this... can you armchair diagnose Peter Molyneux for us? We haven't been rude enough to the man. Can we please diagnose him? <laughs> no, I don't even necessarily want to armchair diagnose him. I want to armchair diagnose us. Ooh, I love when we do that. <laughs> be, there's, there's one person who has a legitimate right to be upset, who's the guy who won this contest. And, and he should be upset. And they basically, they, they let, they just completely cut off communication. It sounds like inadvertently, like they just, you know, forgot about him for a while. And, you know, he's still waiting for this big reward that he's supposed to be getting. And, and Molyneux saying that it's because he's, you know, he has to serve his term as the God of gods or whatever it is. But I mean, other than that, I mean, I, we, I think there's a problem with understanding what Kickstarter is, even though people say they understand it. Why do we get so upset when these types of situations happen, get personally upset at the the person who's leading the project? Because it seems like the the level of anger over a video game, you know, that was being created that it, it hasn't even been canceled. It just seems like the level of, of anger over what's probably I mean, there's I'm sure there's some people who pledged a lot of money. But for most people, it's probably like a twenty dollar pledge or something like that it seems disproportionate in this case, to the the quote-unquote crime, as it were. I would really like to understand this. I really want to know why people are so angry about Rev60 on Steam Greenlight when they've never played it and probably don't want to play it. I mean, what, what is going on? Georgia, help us. <laughs> <laughs> You're our only hope. <laughs> um, I think that the first thing is that we're exceptionally entitled. I think that we're used to having things just happen for us. It's an unfortunate part of what's happening in our world right now. We're not used to waiting. We're not used to hardship. We're not used to suffering. And so that makes us a little bit more demanding and a little bit less easy on the regular bumps, bruises, and like that happened with life. So Kickstarter is just like giving money to any company to start a project. It is not a guarantee that this project is going to happen. Just like if you invested in someone's business, they can't, uh, you know, they can't promise you that it's going to happen. They, that would be great if that could, that's not the way the world works. So, you know, that people are that upset about Kickstarter makes me think they really don't understand what Kickstarter is. It's that you believe in a product, you believe in the people that can do it. And I know that people feel like their trust has been broken, which is what I think that happened with Molyneux is that overly reacted and probably a little bit too emotionally invested to be able to give a fair interview to people that are dealing with that. And and I think that it's just something that's happening more and more often that we're getting so easy, we're so easily triggered and so easily upset about the most minute of things. And unfortunately, the reason for that is because here where most of us live, there really aren't any huge hardships that people are getting. So they don't understand empathy and what other people will go through and that it is not always as easy as black and white. I, I saw the interview with Molyneux and I did not see this as someone that did not believe in the product, that was actually just trying to go out and scrape people for their money. He did not seem like a charlatan to me. He seemed like someone that, you know, really has some fabulous ideas and completely is, has the inability to manage the money to be able to get the product to the, the finish line, which I think is sad. And you could say that it's it's wrong, but, you know. You, you choose a product to give money to, you can't always expect it. I'm waiting for this ring clock that's probably never going to happen that we gave a whole bunch of money to because it's such a cool idea. 
is it going to happen? Probably not. Am I going to start, you know, eviscerating someone live on, a, yes. on an interview? Yes, please, <laughs> just, please, please. Yeah, that, that is what you should use your position at iMore to do. You should just, absolutely start out the interview. Judge Dow is holding court. Judge Dow is distributing justice is what's oh, happening. Oh, gosh. You know, we, we just need, you need to, like, life is, it's so much you know, if you have money to be able to to put down for a Kickstarter, you have to know that you're trying to invest an idea and hope that it makes it and trying to help it make it to the finish line. But there are no guarantees to that. If you're looking for something that's in guarantee, um, you know, th- there's really nothing that you can invest in that you get a guarantee from. You can buy a car and it can bust down and then you have to get it fixed a thousand times. Like, yeah, th- that's the way that it, it goes. And I was really shocked by the interview and I was saddened that that's something that after like I get that sometimes when you're reactive like you'll do something so being reactive you should never do never write post call someone definitely never send an email when you're feeling highly upset period just don't do it okay ever it's never a good idea oh god ever oh no don't tell me that <laughs> what Bree's done, done talking to anybody ever again I can't ever tweet ever or ever answer my email. Oh my God, Georgia. I don't. That's not a bug, Bree. That's a feature. I was late for the show recording because I was so pissed off. I had to go run seven miles so I wouldn't punch a wall. Like... <laughs> but you ran. I did. You see, there I we did. go. That's that's a fair thing to do instead. Run, um, punch a, a, ba- a punching bag, go train, talk to someone, write it out. Just don't send it and don't even do it in your email. Write it out on Word because <laughs> all you need is that you're going to punch the button. Because co- when you're really reactive, you're unfortunately, and this is what I think happened with Molyneux, is that your limbic system takes over. So the part of your brain that's really primal and it's there for your fight or flight is what's actually choosing for you to make these actions it is not a smart move it's about the intelligence of a lizard it's going to do stuff and then later you're going to be like oh you know what that didn't really come out the way that i hoped to you're you're just letting the wrong part of your brain choose your stocks don't don't do that i don't know if i agree with that short because i think for me like anger over being harassed it's such a constant state i think a lot of the time <laughs> i'm i feel like i'm so used to it at this state that's not my lizard brain you might not be that reactive like i you know we're not going to go into person to person kind of a thing more than generic you this is not a, this is not a pre-therapy session yeah right now. yeah we could do that after the show. We we should do a, a, a special called priest therapy session. Yeah. I feel like one difference, though, like a lot of people in the chat room right now are like, every generation has been entitled. It's always it's a human thing. And I, I agree with that. But I think one difference is that the Internet makes it possible for us to directly contact each other immediately. Yeah. And I think that's part of where the entitlement comes in. Like, people can send tweets directly to Peter Molyneux and know that he'll see them. And they can email directly to the journalists that they hate. And I know because they email me. And people can tweet directly (laughs) at celebrities all the time. Like, constantly. Just just that constant access. And they expect a response, too. They they send these emails and they expect a response. That's where the entitlement part comes in. Because because these celebrities are always accessible to them. and, And they believe they deserve to be heard by these people who are busy. It's the, speed, it's the speed of the reaction that's a big difference, right? You'd have to write a letter. You'd have to find a stamp. You'd have to find yeah, an address. Yeah, exactly. Like that old school stuff, it created obstacles. Yeah, you had to be really mad to send a letter. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's instantaneous is not great for us because 
we we get very easily fired up and for sometimes it's for valid reasons for sometimes it's not for valid reasons and so maybe you would choose you know what i should send this letter but you should probably think before you end up dealing with something and for some people it's cost them their jobs it you know our instantaneous society is not great for being able to make the most rational decisions all the time and i mean getting back to the interview it seemed to me like you know i don't know any of the insider baseball that that you guys know about uh, you know, other than stuff that we've talked about on the show. I mean, I know a little bit, but not to the degree that, that, you know, you two know working in the industry every day. But I mean, to me, just reading it and coming in with just what I know from, you know, being, you know, what I'm reading and stuff like that, it, it's, it seemed kind of like a failure if his intention was to kind of expose Molyneux because it's, it ended up making him more of a sympathetic figure by the time that I was done reading it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I thought too, but then I read the comments and everybody was like joyously relishing Molly News unhappiness and that made me even more uncomfortable because I was like, really can people not see Yeah, they's hurting. That he's that this is cruel. And that that made me feel even worse because I was like are people really so entitled that they could read this whole interview and still be angry at him? Well, yes. Like, Apparently, yes. <laughs> and I, I don't even know what to say to that. Well, you can be both angry that you've lost your investment in the game that you had your heartfelt, you know, hopes on has fallen through and also say, you know what, but this guy went too far. I think that we are so often black and white and it does a disservice to everyone that's involved. So you can still be saying, you know what, that was wrong what he did and he should have, you know, invested more in, you know, in other people to be able to to manage things if he wasn't able to or, you know, whatever else it might be. And then also say, you know what, but the interview is also completely off, off color. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess it comes down to whether you believe anything that he's saying when going into that interview or not. I mean, if you go into that interview thinking that he's a liar, then it really doesn't matter what he says. But the first question was, are you a pathological I liar? Like, I, And I, I mean, that makes me think that people went into the interview actively wanting to see those questions be asked of Peter Molyneux and wanting to see him suffer. Yeah. And that kind of freaks me out that knowledge and like to to know that that people see celebrities in this way i i think that's really damaging yeah it it makes me really uncomfortable to see that and i i really hope that people take a step back and think about the fact that these are people like john walker is a person and peter molly is a person and they go home at night <laughs> you know like like actually think about that like they're not characters in a fighting game right you know yeah. like they're not doing this for your entertainment even though, even though Rock, Paper, Shotgun is a website that you read for your entertainment, like, all the people who are featured there are human beings. And I, I don't know. I just can't get past that part of it ever. I, I would just really strongly agree with that. And, you know, it something that's really frustrating for me being kind of in the same boat is feeling like... There are a lot of people that don't see me as a person. They see me as an idea to destroy. I had someone that wrote a... a, a cartoon about me today and sent it to me. It just acknowledged that I was a human being. Like it actually wrote that out. It was like so refreshing to read that. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it hurts. It hurts when people don't see you as a a person, you know, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the problem at the end of the day is that if, if you're, you know, a reasonably well-adjusted person and you can see that there's a person on the other side you're going to think a lot differently about what you would say and how you would react to them than if they're just kind of like this character that isn't this fictional character that happens to be a real person. 
which I think is how a lot of people see people who are in the public eye. And then it's fair game because they don't they're not a real person with feelings and stuff like that. You know, yeah. and it, and it's sad that we get to that point. Just I mean, not even just in the games industry, but in, in general culture that, you know, they're that we put people up on a pedestal just to tear them down. And that's that's just the way that that our culture has been for a long, a long time. And it, it's very damaging. That's the saddest thing you've ever said, Steve. Do you not? Do you think that there's nothing we can do? I don't think there's I don't think that. Well, I mean, I don't know if there's necessarily nothing we can do. I mean, we can all try to be better people, but I, it's it's pretty clear. I mean, this is something that's bothered me just about tabloid culture in general. Like one of my coworkers and I were talking about TMZ the other day and I'm like, how can you watch that? stuff and he's like well it's really funny just to see these people you know who get taken down because they deserve it right Mm -hmm. if you don't see them as people then it's funny if they're cartoon characters to you it's exactly yeah Yeah. it's kind of funny because i i think before i was a psychotherapist um i could watch a lot of different movies or things on tmz of people um or even just on youtube and and there's something on reddit and someone's like freaking out in an airplane or they're they're doing something else. And I'm like, I, I see it completely different. I'm like, this poor person's having a panic attack. Like, they're having yeah. a panic attack, and they're freaking out. And instead of helping them or getting someone else to help them or making sure that, you know, they're not harmed, you're exploiting them. And, you know, we all carry our own damage and our own issues to it. We're not perfect people. I know that people try to hold us up to the standard of perfection. I don't think that any of us could ever walk that path. And and so, you know, yeah, I see it as like a whole bunch of people's pain that's out there for other people to laugh at and find entertainment in. And I think that this interview was, was similar to that as well. It was just exploitative instead of – and I think that that takes away from the validity of all of the backers that were there and have a valid right to be angry um, because it overshadows that. And so I think that he also took away from them. Well, yeah, I mean, look at what we're talking about. We're not talking about what we're primarily, right. I mean, we are, we're right. talking yeah. about well, what, we're talking about the is... Kickstarter, but primarily we're talking about the interview that was conducted and how it was conducted. Yeah. We're not actually yeah. talking about what happened. Mm-hmm. So from that yeah. perspective, they, they, you know, they've diverted the story from what they're actually trying to report on to the site themselves in the interview itself. And that's, you know, that's not, that's not a success either. I don't think. He made it, he made it personal yeah. Yeah. and it shouldn't have been. Exactly. Anyway, so let's take a break, talk about our first sponsor this week, which is lynda.com. It's already February, so what are you waiting for? Invest in yourself this year and start learning something new at lynda.com with a free 10-day trial. Uh, lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world. They have over 3,000 courses on web development, photography, visual design, and business. Uh, They have software training on stuff like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop, uh, and almost any topic you can imagine. Uh, all their classes, courses are taught by experts. Sometimes they actually get the people who wrote the software or who worked on the software to come teach the courses. And new courses are added to the site every week. So whether you want to set new financial goals, if you want to start a new hobby, you want to start making more money, or you want to change jobs, or, or just make yourself better at what you're doing right now, uh, lynda.com has something for everybody. Uh, you can sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash isometric and you'll get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com uh you can view all their courses on tablets on iphone and android mobile devices or on your computer and you get access to all the new courses that are added every week uh you can get if you're interested in getting into game dev they have unity 3d training they have programming for kids they have a they have a code clinic uh i was just looking today they have if you're uh, looking at getting into podcasting or you're or you are trying to improve your podcast they have a whole course on 
uh, on just getting started with podcasting with GarageBand. And if you have a Mac, <laughs> every single rule yeah. will be what not to do if you're like what Georgia does on the show. Yes, don't don't do what we do. <laughs> Don't hold up your phone and play the Mario coin. That's like the the first ten seconds of the video. I think is kind of saying that. Georgia, you could be you could make your own Linda video about how to podcast not like this. <laughs> the ten things I do that what you should not do in your podcast. What to do? Georgia Dow in Goovis and Gallant teach podcasting. Right. <laughs> I'll have like one download, and it was my mom. Yeah. Aww. Aww. We would download it too. Just to make fun of me. There would be four downloads. Georgia, people would talk would watch you read reviews of a ham sandwich. They would. They would. <laughs> you know our fans. Yeah. They would, they would We have the best people. We have the best people in the whole world. Especially Charles. I like mm-hmm. Charles. Yeah. He's great. Oh, yeah. Yes. Just send the video to Charles. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> he'll he'll get it to everybody. He'll sit everybody down individually and make them watch it. <laughs> So, so invest in yourself and sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash isometric and uh, challenge yourself to learn something new in 2015. Uh, thank you very much to lynda.com for sponsoring 5x5 and isometric. I, what's the opposite of that, Steve? Like, challenge yourself not to learn something new. <laughs> yeah. I challenge you to watch a Linda video and not learn anything. Good luck. That's my challenge to our audience. If you don't buy Linda, just challenge yourself to not learn anything whatsoever. Vegetate. Don't learn anything. Don't think about elephants. Nope. Ooh. (laughs) Oh, dude. So the other the other kind of big disappointment story this week was uh, (laughs) a whole show of downers. I know. This is the most depressing isometric ever. Well, you know what? We are taking depressing and we are making it awesome is what we're doing. That That is what we're doing. I don't know. I don't even know if that's a thing, but I'm making it a thing. It is a thing. It's a thing, thing now. It's a thing now. So uh, the Order 1886 <laughs> came out uh, actually today as we're recording this. Um, the Order 1886 is a game that was announced. I think it was all the way back at the PlayStation 4 launch uh on that E3 before it came out. Uh, They've definitely been showing it a number of times since then. And it was supposed to be one of the the flagship new new IPs for the PlayStation 4. Uh, It's a game about if uh, the Knights of the Round Table gave themselves, somehow magically gave themselves eternal life and then they were existing into like a steampunk uh, dark London and fighting werewolves and stuff like that. And it's actually like, it's an interesting concept. One of the things I read in the Kotaku review is that it actually sounds like an idea that somebody had and not an idea that somebody just kind of stole or adapted. But the problem started this early this week when a, a YouTuber uploaded a video of him playing through the entire game and claiming that it was the entire content of the game came out to about five hours and 30 minutes. And then that ended up because this game is only a single player campaign, there's no multiplayer component whatsoever. Then there was a lot of discussion about, is that too short? Is, and whether the length of the game was appropriate, given that it's a $60 game. What, what was kind of complicating this is that the review embargo was still up. And the review this came out on uh, Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, and the review embargo didn't drop till Thursday. So you had nobody in the, in, who was reviewing the game could actually comment on it. So all that was left to do was report on the speculation, and and a lot of uh, speculation was done because that's what happens. I, I guess Brie, I'll, I'll start with you because I know that you know you generally have strong strong feelings about this kind of stuff. And 
I, I don't think that this Rhi is a fair. Brie doesn't have strong feelings about. No, Brie never has strong feelings about no. anything except no, you're Tron. Be disappointed, Steve. Um, <laughs> but I mean, is it fair to discuss the length of a game as one of the primary considerations on whether you should be making whether that that game is kind of worthy of a purchase or not? Um, I think it depends on the game. I mean, I think a lot of games are unnecessarily long and kind of pad themselves out. I mean, you know, Rev 60 was very short for a reason. You know, I, I pride myself in making that a, a very short game that does not waste a second of your time. So often this this used market like forces people to like just cram in content, cram in content. I think Alien uh, Isolation is a really good example of that. It's like trying to stave off people from taking it back to the store and just trading it back in, you know, which is a, a huge problem with uh, you know, Quantic Dreams games. So um, I think it's legitimate. I think it's subjective. And I have to be honest, I, I don't really understand why any of this is a story. Um, you know, like it's a it's a game. It got kind of mediocre reviews. It didn't really come together. Like the, the press team tried to kind of, you know, uh, bury it in the snow and like pull their, <laughs> pull their fake tricks, you know, in a landmine with all of the ETs. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, they tried to do their tricks like with the embargo and all of that. And it didn't really work out. And I, I, I guess I've seen this so many times. I, I don't know why this is surprising to anyone. Like This isn't the first time to the dance. So. I, I don't think that it's surprising necessarily. I think that it just became like a cacophony this week of people discussing how how important uh, game length is to a AAA release. I mean, only partially in respect to this game, but also more of like a general topic. I mean, this is almost the flip side of what we talked about last week with Evolve where we were talking about them adding DLC and, you know, and, and making more money that way. And, and I guess the, the question is, is this a problem if it's a five hour game, but they're charging $60 for it? Because no. I mean, on the one hand, it's perfectly valid for it to be a five hour game. We complain all the time. Like you just said, we complain all the time about it, you know, artificially lengthening games and sending people on fetch quests and, and running around the hinterlands for six hours. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, on the other, on the other hand, you have a lot of people who do have limited budgets and, you know, $60 is not an insignificant amount of money to spend on a single game. And is it is it worth knowing that that's going to be the amount of content that's going to be in the game when making that decision? Well, but this would be a completely different conversation if it were a five-hour game that were the most incredible five hours that anybody had ever experienced exactly. in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not just... This is why the conversation is so stupid and frustrating for me. Because I feel like we're trying to codify how many hours of time, like, okay... How long is a movie typically? How much are we used to paying for a movie? What's our Netflix subscription? How much entertainment are we getting percent? Like that's that's ridiculous because we cannot codify our experience with art and put a monetary value on it. And like, yeah, we live in a capitalist system that tries to do that all the time, but it's like hilarious because you can't actually do it. And like, I would happily pay $60 for an incredible five-hour game. But most of the time I pay $60 for a mediocre 15 hour game that has five good hours in it. And that's the, that is the deal that we have regrettably struck. And I don't think that's a good deal, but that's, that's the precedent that video games have right now. Mm -hmm. I I personally think that's really stupid, but whatever. Yeah. I think that Maddie, I think, no, but I think that you're absolutely right. I would actually rather pay $60 for a five hour game that was really good and cut out the, I, I my for me, my time is valuable. If I'm not, 
Like, if I'm choosing to spend, like, at this stage, my time is really precious and really rare. So if I'm choosing to spend my time playing a game, I want it to be an, a pleasurable experience. I want it to be something that I'm feeling something or thinking something or doing something. If I am just, you know, running around, just waiting to get to the next point to do something else, you know, or, you know, replaying the same kind of battle that there's nothing happening in my mind, it's a waste to me. So I don't think that it really has to do with the the length of time. I've spent a lot of money on some experiences that are very short experiences, but that they gave me something and then that's valid and worth it. Um, I think that it's important for, you know, you know, them to think about like, you know, is it value for what you're getting and how much is the cost and is that the right amount? But it's also how much time and what are the graphics and how what the cost yeah. of the game to develop it is. It's just not about I mean, like, in terms of development cost, this game probably is, quote-unquote, worth $60. Oh, yeah, sure. But it's just not a good game. (laughs) So that's, like, a separate... I mean, we can talk about that if you want, but that's a depressing conversation for sure. Like, how how did they put this much money into something that's that's so bland? Like, that's... But you could say that. I think that that's a valid discussion to say, you know, I think that this game isn't worth the money because I don't think that the game is, like, a good game. Sure, yeah. because it's only five hours. I've played some amazing games that were really short. Like, you know, we went through the same thing with Monument Value. It's a really short game, but it's stunning and beautiful, and and it does something in a different way, and they've had to think through it, and I think that that's really worth it in comparison to, you know, I don't know how many games (laughs) I've bought that are, like, they're horrible, and I'm like, ah, you know, they they add up, and so I think that it, it... diffuses the real topic of is the game you know worthwhile playing or not yeah and, and I portal think... portal is anyone yeah. going to complain that portal was too <laughs> too short oh i don't feel like i got 60 dollars out of this no it's it's bs and i just i i don't know i think that i think that they're the most common way that they pad out like time in a game is with combat and forcing the player to do endless combat. It's not with like really Mm well-made animated scenes. And, you know, so that I was talking to NPR about this last night. I am so sick of violence as a mechanic. I'm so sick of it. I think it numbs us as a society. I think it's just like literally wasting your precious time on earth to like grind out all these levels. And, I just think it's it's just the worst possible decision. And, you know, often I think when we have these conversations, there's this, like, assumption that there's some correct way to do it. And, and there's not. Like, Georgia, you and I, I feel the same way as you. I like shorter games. If a game is short, that's a huge plus for me. Like, mm-hmm. I remember yeah. when they were complaining about that with Metal Gear Solid. And it was it was like, yes. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Just give me... Give me a good experience. Like, put that $60 towards, you know, like, choose to spend your development funds on the correct thing. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm at, I mean, I'm at the same place where, you know, personally, I would rather have a shorter game because I know that a longer game, like, I haven't even gotten out of the Hinterlands in, in Dragon Age, and I don't think I'm going to. And, and, you know, I spent, you know, I didn't buy, pay $60, I bought it on sale, but, you know. Well, I what paid level for that. are you? Oh, God, it's like <laughs> four, maybe. I don't even know. I haven't, okay, I haven't picked it up well. in like a month. Then you probably only played it for a few hours. Yeah. But it's okay. I mean, like, it didn't grab you, so why would they expect you to want to keep playing? Right. I mean, you know, wandering, like, literally wandering around the hinterlands, like, climbing over rocks, trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be going is not is not fun for me. I mean, but, you know, at the same time, I'm sympathetic because, like, we started use, doing you, you Need a Budget, 
uh, at the beginning of this year. And, and so I'm setting, you know, we're still tinkering with it, but I'm setting like $100 a month budget for games, which I, I for a lot of people is probably a lot. You know, $100 I mean, I, just, well, I mean, that's like one game a month, maybe two. I don't know. I spend a lot more than a hundred dollars. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. you know. So that's why I'm trying. You know, we're trying to get an idea of where our money's going and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. it's an interesting experiment doing this because you know when you're tracking everything really closely, you think about your purchases a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going through this, and I I mean I actually am getting this from GameFly, but I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, well, normally I would love it. I would love a five hour game. You know, a five hour game is perfect for me. But at the same time, that's more than half of my budget for the month to go on that five hour game that may last me a week. And then, you know what? And then, and then what? Right. Like, I mean, that is such a weird way to think about your money and your time. Yeah, I know. Like I get what you're saying because like, frankly, my budget is a lot tighter than yours. So you would think I would be on your side here, (laughs) but I am super not because I do not think about my game playing time in that way. I would not like to spend three weeks of my time on a game that's 150 hours, but I'm not really enjoying or getting any mental stimulation out of any of that time. Like, controversial opinion, I didn't really like Skyrim that much. Like, no, I, I sunk Sucked. some time in there. Sucked. I sunk some time in there because I had to because I was reviewing it. But honestly, like, a lot of that game feels like doing chores. Yeah. And I was like, if I wanted to do the dishes, I should probably get up and do them <laughs> in real life. Like... <laughs> I don't want to do yeah. this and like running around, like picking flowers and stuff. I'm like, I should probably be buying groceries. Like, why am I doing this in a video game? So I, to me, I hate games like that. And those are the kinds of games that last a hundred hours that last a whole month that quote unquote, get your money's worth kinds of games. And yes, I know there are huge, huge fandoms for those games. Like every world of Warcraft fan I know loves that stuff. Every Skyrim fan is going to send me angry tweets this week. That's fine. I get that that's what you're into. And to you, getting your money's worth is that kind of game. But for me, I would frankly rather have a game that only takes me a week to beat, five hours, eight hours, whatever. I love beating a game in a single day. Like part of what I loved about Gone Home and Life is Strange is the first episode is that it was like this concise story I played it. It was done in like three hours. I got to sit down with like a cup of tea at the beginning of the game and know that by the end of the game, I'd be done with a cup of tea and done with the game. Like I just like knew going in what that experience was going to be like. And I enjoyed that about it. I, I don't know why I'm like that, but I, I am like that. And I, I mean, I like Call of Duty campaigns a lot too, for a similar reason. Like they're pretty much always eight hours. I know how long it's going to take me to beat it a couple days. Like, I just, I enjoy that sense of a complete story as opposed to just wandering around for hours. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I'm not, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I, that's, like I said, that's how I feel about Dragon Age, that. Well, yeah, I mean, like, Dragon Age, Steve, like, if you, if you beat the order really quickly, I guess you could play Dragon Age because you're really gonna get your money's worth because it's 150 hours, like, like, fine, there's a certain consumer that wants to play a game for, like, 150 hours. Like Maddie said, go get Dragon Age. Like, why are we having this discussion? I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't. I don't. People get angry on the internet and we laugh at them. <laughs> game developers are not sitting there rubbing our hands together going, let's cheat the consumer. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know. Well, maybe you should be right. because you could be striking it rich. We need to get you. We need to get you like a fake mustache to twirl, Bree. We should. What we, need. we should. Maybe like a monocle, a top that, hat. Now we know what Bree's going to be wearing. Yeah, something steampunk and evil. I will do that. I will <laughs> yeah. do that. And she's going to have a little tiny panda on her shoulder or in her lap. And the panda will be made of money. <laughs> I was thinking of watch parts, but okay. I would love to see you in like a top hat with a monocle, like like you know, petting a stu- petting a stuffed panda or something like that. Okay, like, that's it. We have to have that happen. <laughs> I have the top. I have the top hat too. Make it happen. I feel like that's Make a little too Lolita for Bree's style. She's too, you know, refined <laughs> yeah. for all of that. Refined. <laughs> a yeah. little top hat. I can't. I can't see Bree. Panda hat can't hat. speak. That's no, no, far no. more. We got what, this. Something stupid that I would wear is a little top hat. <laughs> I, I think there's nothing wrong with having just the gameplay on the box. You know how many hours, you know, going in about how long it's yeah. going to take you. And then you can make that decision depending on the rating of the game. And if it's a game that you kind of like or don't like it, if it's worth the cash for what you're going to be. Yeah, you, I mean, you know? probably the only interesting, or, well, okay, this is me. But probably the only interesting tweets that I saw that came out of this were that Merrick Copas was tweeting today about how board games always put the length of time on the back of the box and video games don't. And, mo- and movies do too. In books, you can yeah. see how many pages yes, it yes. has. And yeah. um, I mean, like, obviously, for board games, it's just, uh, it's an estimation. They don't really know how long it's going to take. But the reason why they do that is because uh, tabletop games and board games expect that they are demand on your time and they treat themselves in that way. And they're sort of like, you need to plan around how many, how often people are going to be over your house and how long they're going to be there. And video games don't really do that. And I think that they should. might be a mistake. Yeah. How, how could you do that? I don't know. I mean, like there are sites, there are sites like how long to beat. But we know, you know about how long your game is going to be. You know, the average in between, like, right. You know, if it's like, you know, a two to five hour game or if it's like a 10 to 12 or you know that dragon age is not going to be a five hour game my peggle my peggle review is going to be between a three hour game and a two thousand hour game like that's a very interesting know, game right yes i mean i guess you know i would probably like to know if something's going to be 150 hours before i buy it to know that you know that's probably something that i might want to think twice about because i don't have that kind of time you know i'm pretty sure i told you true. that about dragon age but then i made you play it anyway because it was on our goatee show so so really, you're complaining just to spite me. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's it's that in Tron. So, Steve, you know. yeah. I made you it's waste payback. your money on Dragon Age. Is that what this conversation is? No, really I, been no, leading I, re- up I rented to? it. and I thought I liked it when I bought it, and then I kept playing it, and it wasn't, I, it wasn't getting any better. So, all right, it was on sale, and I got, I got seduced. By if the anybody sale. wants Steve's copy of Dragon Age, well, please. it's digital, so I can't, I can't even trade it in anymore. I can't give it to somebody else. I don't think. Fine. Because GameStop hasn't hasn't gotten their marketplace Tweet for used at games. GameStop and <laughs> ask them why used digital games aren't a thing yet. Because noted podcaster Steve Lubitz <laughs> wants to sell his used copy of Dragon Age. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far as say noted. Hmm. Well. <laughs> okay. It's it's just you know I'm. I, I'm not trying to be negative. It's just it's a it's a hard mindset for me to get into. It just it's not a problem that I really think about as a game developer. It's it's not a priority. And I just I don't know. Like I've spent most of this week like thinking about like with GDC coming up, like what kind of technology do I want to learn about? You know, what panels, what connections do I want to make? Like, you know, I'm going to go have a, a demo with Microsoft of their HoloLens technology. Like, I can go talk to Oculus. And it's like, to me, 
I think they're really big, important problems in this field to think about. Like, I think violence being the primary mechanic by which we have gameplay, I think that's a, a really I think it's an engineering problem. I, I think there are different kinds of games we can go discover. I think like saying, gosh, guys, hasn't like looking at games on a flat screen, like you can see the minimal difference between a PS3 and a PS4. And it's like, you know, it kind of feels like we've pushed this rock as far up the hill as it can go. We need to look in new directions for things. Like, I don't care how many screens Nintendo throws on a 3DS or whatever magical, stupid screen technology. It's pretty much the same thing. So as an industry, as games are progressing, where do we want to go from here? To me, the fundamental problem with the PS4 and the Xbox One is they're not using the extra computational power to solve the right problems. The problem that they're choosing to solve is sharper textures. They're not using that power to do you know, physics simulations for like some fluid dynamic thing or, or, or having better AI or, you know, having more conversations there. So you can have like in-depth conversation with people. It's sharper textures. And to me, the interesting problems about the game industry are, where are we going? What problems do we want to solve? Do we want to, like, what kind of games can we come up with the motion? And, like, whining about how short a game is because of an embargo review, it's, it's, it's just, it just seems kind of trivial in the big scheme of things to me. Does that make sense? I, I guess, I guess here's, here's my perspective on it. Yeah. Coming from yeah. completely the other side, right? There's there's a few things when this first came up, I, I saw a bunch of tweets coming out, and and one of the things that I saw a lot was, well, you picked a, you picked an expensive hobby, so deal with it. Okay. And and I think that the one of the problems that we're starting to run into is that there's a big tension between the budgets for these projects are going up, and the um, ability for customers to pay for it is not. But I, I feel like that's kind of an important story, too, that, you know, how we're going to pay for these games going forward, despite the fact that the budgets are going up, but there's no willingness for the consumer to be able to go along with that in, in, a, in a higher direction. Like $60 is clearly the, the, the end limit of where people are will, most people are willing to, to spend. And so I, we're starting to see stuff like we talked about last week with Evolve, where we're putting in more DLC to kind of pay for that. And then we get into this here, where is the perception that, you know, we need to put in more content in order to make it, quote unquote, worth that $60. And I think that that's, it's something that the industry is still trying to figure out. And I think we're going to end up with more of these kind of kerfuffles as we start getting into this new generation and, and trying to, to sort that out. I, I see it as I it does. I see it. It maybe this is like fifty thousand feet in the sky, but I think of it as a as a economic issue overall. Yeah, I think people overall in all industries, not just the game industry, are being squeezed tighter and tighter. And I think like you can look at the secondary effects of this with like millennials who are really big on the sharing economy. Not that there's anything wrong with sharing, but I think that's a, a symptom of a generation without capital and uh, or any kind of upward mobility. And I, I think that, you know, video games are feeling the pressure of that. And I think when so many people have the majority of the money, uh, you know, they can only buy so many copies of Rev6 you know, so I think it's I think it's a wider problem of everyone just having less money. So I don't know. Anyway, I guess we should probably take a break 
and um, thank our second sponsor this week, which is Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, uh, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Uh, Squarespace is simple, powerful, and beautiful. They have 24-7 support through live chat and email. Uh, it starts at just $8 a month, and if you get and you get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. Um, every site on Squarespace is automatically going to be responsive. Your, your website always scales to look great on every device, and there are a ton of sites that are powered by Squarespace, and each one looks unique. You can't, there's not a single thing that you can point at like this is a Squarespace site. There are a lot of sites that are out there that just look completely unique, and you can tweak the templates to do exactly what you need them to do. Uh, every website comes with a free online store. Uh, they have a new cover pages feature in Squarespace 7, which is lets you set up a beautiful one-page online presence in minutes. Uh, if there's, a, there's Getty Images where you can get uh, professional photography for just $10 an image. They have a dev platform, so you can get into the code and tweak it however you need to if, if the templates aren't exactly what you're looking for. Uh, there's all kinds of all kinds of good features. I have a, a, a screenshot on my computer today of me using the code isometric to save money on my Squarespace purchase, actually. Oh, so, cool. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I was thinking out the irony as I did it that Squarespace pays us to like sponsor their show. And then like literally as I put that money in the bank, then I used it and turned it around <laughs> to yeah. buy a Squarespace site. Uh, I have multiple Squarespace sites also, and I think about that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of weird. But if people want to go to MaddieMyers.net or RobotNights.com, those are Squarespace sites that I have purchased before yeah, yeah, this yeah. show ever existed, <laughs> and they're paying me back. <laughs> no, I uh, I started a site today. It's BriannaWu.net, too, because, like, press is asking me all the time for, like, certain things, and, like, I want to have... Like a portfolio. Like, I want to have my portfolio, my speaking fees, and, like, photos mm-hmm. for the press to use and all that stuff right there. So mm-hmm. um, we're putting that all up there. It was in the Getty Images feature was really... I was really cool, like, because, like, the site template I picked had, like, six pictures, and... I, I wanted like Rev60 and the About Me, like I'm plugging in official pictures, but like for portfolio, what am I going to put there? You know, like I can rig something up and it's like, no, I just spent $10 and got this really professional looking picture for it. So it's a really cool feature, I think. Yeah, yeah. I found it really easy to use and I really like it. I honestly used Squarespace before this show ever began. I was serious about that. And it's easy. So easy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep trading money back and forth. So anyway, so get started with a free trial, no credit card required, and start building your website today. Uh, when you start, sign up for Squarespace. Make sure to use the offer code Isometric to get 10% off and to show your support for Isometric. And thank you so much to Squarespace for their continued support of 5x5 and Isometric. Uh, Squarespace, build it beautiful. So Georgia, what are you playing this week? Okay, so I'm playing a new game. I'm really excited about it. It's called The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. And it is a, it's a really strange it's a strange game in that it lets you, it just, like, it doesn't tell you what you have to do in any way, shape, or form, which is strange because it doesn't tell you where you should go. Um, and it's a 3D game, and it's 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 kind of said that it's like a weird fiction horror, dis, like, detective kind of story. Really, really neat and very interesting. I... I like it quite a lot and you get to explore new areas and you're trying to figure out the vanishing of Ethan Carter and 
you're, you're figuring out what you can do and what you can't do through the game. And I think that the game mechanics are fabulous and I'm really enjoying experiencing the game. And I've, I was away uh, in Toronto, so I was driving back yesterday and here and I couldn't get to play it anymore. And I'm really excited to play the game for more. So if you're looking for, if you like detective games, you like open and like games that are very, very open and you have to think and figure it out kind of on your own, which is a little dis, like can be discombobulated if you're not really comfortable with that this is a great game to try out so i'm really enjoying it is it really fabulous game mechanics like what makes a fabulous game mechanic as opposed to a good game mechanic well for this one it's it works <laughs> well <laughs> it if just... georgia is the one reviewing the game then the mechanic might be fabulous instead well of yeah just good. I, I have no clue if they actually like don't ask me if the pixels are in the right place or what kind of texture mapping they used i have no clue but <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's blah blah blah. What kind of texture know. mapping do they use, George? Yeah, uh, you know the the the, the triangle. The usual ones. kind. The usual <laughs> texture mapping. There's polygons you know. and pixels. It's about <laughs> as far as I know. Um, but it just it works. It's intuitive. It's fluid. It looks beautiful. Um, it's not glitchy. It's really quite a smooth game. Uh, it's very vast. I don't know. Try it out. Okay. Let me know. Maybe it has horrible. <laughs> no they're fabulous they're fabulous or they're maybe they're magically delicious Who knows? i think that the ps4 should be used to like use its extra processor power to invent more fabulous mechanics instead of textures i want us to use that to innovate in that, that realm I'm on your side. It's a controversial stance, but I'm I'm going to join you there, Brie. I really want to see more fabulousness in this new generation. Uh, There's a fabulousness deficit. A fabulousness deficit. I don't really know what we're talking about Charles right now. asks, but how many hours does it take to play through? Yeah. It is I think that it's around a 5-hour game. Okay. I well, I for me it will probably be longer cuz I like to explore areas, but if you don't do that, yeah, I think it's around that. Do you collect everything as you play, Georgia? I, I like to. I like to explore. And if I enjoy a game, I like to know everything about it. I like to stay in the environment. So if I, I will, you know, I, I will be slightly annoyed if I have to not do a side quest. If I don't care about the game, then there's less chance that I'm going to do any of the side quests. I just want to kind of get it over with. So like Maddie's idea about like Dragon Age just to like get to the middle of the game before just do it as quickly as possible. I'm like, that sounds like the right thing just to get more invested i like exploring too i like picking everything up and looking at everything that's why i like metroid i worry that i'm gonna miss something if i don't yeah 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 i'm right well especially when it's like not giving you any direction and telling you what to do and you just kind of have to figure it out i mean that's those types of games you kind of have to do that i like when it's obvious where you're supposed to go me too but i still like exploring so you know yeah it's not a game basically has to be metroid in order for me to like it that's the only I like when it makes it clear where you where you need to go, but it lets you go exploring if you want right, to. Right, right, right. You see, this game is pretty... I think that you would probably still enjoy it, Steve, though I did go to one place that I probably shouldn't have went to first. I was still able to pass over the the quest or puzzle, whatever you want to call it, but it would have been much easier if I would went to the more obvious... Like, as I'll go to the place, ooh, look at the secret location. I won't go there. I'll go to the secret location first. 
Yeah, I thought I read Which, something about that game, and it's like it's really easy to go past like the thing that you're supposed to do first. Yeah. And there's no there's no like marker or anything to tell no. you that that's where it starts. No, there really isn't, and that's you you have to trust yourself. So if you you're not someone that's really easy to to make your own decisions and kind of just go with it, you might find this this game very frustrating. Um, but it's it's relatively intuitive. You should just uh, like you know follow <laughs> do what's most obvious first. Is my my only tip for the game. So, uh, Bree, did you get it to play anything this week, or? Ah, did I? Let me think. I, 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 I took some time off. I'm working my way through Danganronpa 2 again, which is uh, very depressing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm still working through Saints 4, Row 4 a little bit. Maddie, I actually took one of your recommendations, and, uh, you know, I played Grim Fandango for quite a little bit this week. It is a fantastic game that is a, a really good game yeah. there's no way in hell you would be able to beat it without a walkthrough <laughs> I know. but, but I it's know. a really good game and what what i thought was really cool about that is you know it's it's just it's so cool to see a culture represented with so much joy do you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, it's just because it's, it's not something i never really thought about you know being white and it was it was i i don't know i just thought it was it was really beautiful and offbeat and wacky and just had a different take on everything and and cool um i didn't really like how the the women in it are kind of sidekicks and you know damsels in distress but other than that it's a really really solid game yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, I, I still think it's really well written. And like, I, I agree that the plot structure is still fundamentally about like a guy saving a girl. And I yep. I do really hate that. But the characters are so funny and charming that I can almost forget about that, you know, but it, it's still it's still kind of too bad. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's a product of its time, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Steve, did you ever beat Danganronpa 1? No, not yet. I got to get back oh, to it. It's, you know, oh, this is my... Oh. Yeah, no, I need to get back to it. I got about halfway through it, and then I got onto other things, and I need to get back to it. Are you in Chapter 3 or Chapter, chapter 3, four? yeah. Yeah, I'm in Chapter okay, 3. Okay, Chapter 4 is where it gets really good. Okay, I'll, so... I'll, I, will, I will get back to it. I need to... Uh... I, you don't have to. Like, no, 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 I want to. It's, saying, I actually, yeah. No, it's actually... It's right, not even yeah. like the kind of thing that I just... You know what happened? Is that I ended up playing Touch My Katamari after that, and I haven't, I haven't swapped the, um, I haven't swapped the the cartridge back in after I beat that, and I need to because it just needs to be there. And if I have to, it's like the stupidest thing. But if I have to go like open the thing and swap out the and find the disc and not the disc the the cartridge and and go through that whole thing, like it's just like enough friction that I haven't been I haven't been doing to get back to it. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm very very lazy. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> wow. Uh, so what are you playing maddie <laughs> um i've been playing majora's mask which oh i played out. that too it's really yeah, good yeah it looks so good it looks so pretty are you playing it on the on the original uh, no 3DS? i'm playing the 3ds i'm playing the 3ds i mean are you asking me which 3ds i have yes yes the old one i guess it looks so good no i haven't bought a new one i haven't bought a i haven't bought what Steve, I don't have any money. What are you? Okay. What is this? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot you're a games journalist. Go ahead. Yeah. What? If anybody <laughs> wants to send me a new 3DS so that I can review it, no, no, no. My boss already did that. My boss got the new 3DS. Anyway, I've been playing Majora's Mask. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not like far enough in it to have any life-changing thoughts about the story yet. I'm still just like, oh yeah, okay, I remember all this stuff. 
but it looks a lot better than I thought it would. I didn't remember Majora's Mask looking this good. Um, maybe that's just... It didn't. My memory? <laughs> okay, well then I'm awesome. I'm right. It looks friggin' amazing. No, they put like, like a 1K map on, on Link's face when he gets turned into a Deku. I, it's it look, way he looks up so resting. cute yeah, as the yeah. Deku. He's yeah. the cutest little Deku, his little eyes. And and like the trees and the forest at the very beginning, I was just, my mind was blown by the trees. My mind was blown. That's a box quote. Maddie's mind was blown by the trees. Um, and like, it, yeah, it looks so good. Um, and also, I, I like the music in this game. I mean, like I have some criticisms. I just, I think I might want to save them for when I've been playing a little bit longer so that I can be a little more fair. But there are some things I don't like about it. Uh, also, I saw a lot of people talking about how they didn't like that the game introduced the mechanics as well. And I, I guess it's because I've been playing, I've played Ocarina of Time on the 3DS already. So, and I, I've been playing it again recently anyway. So for me, I was like, oh yeah, this is all the same mechanics. It's still on the 3DS. It's all the same, same all, same all. So um, the fact that there's practically no tutorial at all for the Majora's Mask intro that didn't bug me, but there is a little bit of tutorial. I would say there's enough tutorial to get the gist. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I was a little confused by that criticism. I didn't feel like you wouldn't be able to figure it out. I, I would say maybe a more fair criticism would be that the story would make absolutely no sense to you if you hadn't played any other Zelda game. W would you agree, Bree? Did you feel like the tutorial was too short? Um, I, I felt like the Z target button was just so poorly placed on the, the 3DS that it didn't feel very good. Yeah, so... I'd agree with that. What are they, how are they doing that? Is that one of the shoulder buttons or what are they yeah, doing? Yeah, it's one of the shoulder buttons. It just, it feels really bad. Um, it does, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I guess I played it so much on the N64, uh, I didn't really have a problem with it, so. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was a weird criticism. Yeah, yeah. How is it without the C stick? Because one of the things that I've heard was that it's um it's a, it really makes really good use of the C stick on the new 3ds. So how is it without it? And that's that's something. Yeah, I wish we had the new 3ds and the shortages as a topic this week because that's one of the things I really wanted. I, I looked for a long time for a new 3ds this week because of that, and they're they're impossible to find. I've heard it's because of that West Coast uh stop work stoppage is hmm. primarily that they're having trouble just getting import anything imported in and so that's really slowing up them being able to distribute uh distribute stock to all the stores i haven't really had a problem but i guess okay. i don't know what i'm missing <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know uh i mean i are they using the c-stick instead of a circle i guess i should just find the, the answer to that question instead of stupidly asking it on the show but i i don't know how it's implemented so i i guess i don't know what i'm missing but yeah i mean i agree the z-targeting is weird but I I don't know. I, I find using the little circle pad to be okay. Because this game... I, I haven't yet had to do anything where I have to do a bunch of wacky aiming yet. I'm not far enough in the game yet to be, like, killing stuff with a, with a slingshot or anything. So it may be that later on I'll be really annoyed. But for now, I don't mind. Okay. I'll let you know. Okay, well, we'll hold you to that. <laughs> cool. What have you been playing, Steve? Uh, so I got two things. Um, one of them I don't want to take a lot of time on, but I, I feel like I have to because... Uh, so Maureen doesn't listen to the show. Friday, I'm at work, and she will go to the library, and if they have video games that look interesting, she'll just grab them, and she'll text me pictures of them. So Friday, she texted me a picture of Sonic Boom for the Wii U. Huh. 
after we were talking about Sonic last week. So I'm like, well, now I'm morbidly curious. I saw your your tweets about this and I was like, how did this happen? But now I understand. And it was complete, like, it was complete serendipity. Like, she had no idea that we were talking about Sonic last week. So I get the game and first I have to install a two gig update patch to get it to run, which meant that I had to delete a whole, well, actually I had to delete Disney Infinity, which was kind of cathartic. Um, but, <laughs> but so I played it and it's just, it's soulless is what it is, is the problem. <laughs> oh, it's like, so bad. it's just like, you're playing through it. And the first sequence is like this tempo run thing. And that goes for like 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden you're punching people as Sonic, which is weird. And then you're doing like these 2d side scrolling things that are supposed to be like, you know, like, like a 2d Sonic game, except that they're just like little sequences and that's it. And you spend a lot of time looking for switches and punching switches to get things to move. And it's just, and and then you go through the same sequence four times with all slightly different with all the four characters. Cause like knuckles can grab things and, and like can grab textured surfaces and Amy can triple jump and tails can hover. And it's just, it worked fine. I think the patch fixed all the technical issues kind of like when, uh, you know, when Georgia was trying to play mm. Assassin's Creed, but um, it's just, you know, it, it, I can see why it did so badly. Cause there's just nothing there. I didn't feel anything playing it. Wow. So it, wow. it kind of made me, it kind of made me sad. Like, I'm just like, I'm doing this, but I'm not enjoying this in the least. That's, that's the game quote, right? Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> it's soulless. Yeah. Like, oh. it's, yeah. <laughs> So, um, but so what I did spend most of the time, cause we were snowed in most of the weekend. Um, my daughter randomly decided that she wanted to play wind waker, Ooh. the wind waker HD remake on yeah. the Wii U. Good so game. yeah. So we've been playing that like all week. Like uh, we've been playing, we played most of the weekend. We ended up spending playing it. We've been playing it like an hour a night, you know, since I went back to work this week and, I remember rage quitting Wind Waker when I played it the first time on the GameCube. I heard they made some of the annoying parts less annoying in the yeah. HD remake, which makes me want to give it a shot. But Yeah, I mean, supposedly there's a fetch quest at the very end that they fixed, and yeah. they fixed the sailing, uh, which I, yeah. I know that was one of the things that bothered me when I played it the first time, but this time I've kind of outsourced it to the girls, because that's what they want to do, and they're happy to do the sailing, and that's kind of the, the part that, that... That's the only part she wanted to do was the sailing, like, she's happy to have me do everything else, but she just wants to do the sailing. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll, you know, check Twitter while you're doing the sailing. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But it's, I, first of all, the, the remake is gorgeous on the Wii U. It really is. Like, the, the graphics, I, I mean, I remember it being a pretty game when I played it on the GameCube. But on the Wii U with the HD textures and everything's just like, it's like watching a cartoon. So it's it's gorgeous, and I'm I'm finding that I'm having a better time with the Zelda logic than I did the first time because I think one of the, the reasons that I <laughs> the one of the reasons that I that I quit it the first time around is that I found myself just like sitting there with a walkthrough in front of me and the entire time, and I'm just like this is kind of pointless. Steve, I'm afraid I need a definition of Zelda logic. What does that mean? <laughs> so so, so <laughs> it's like you you know the kind of things like the kinds of things that you need to do in order to solve a typical Zelda puzzle, like. Push a block, yeah. Okay, well, I'm stuck in this room, so I need to start. I need to go into first person mode and look for something to hook on to my grappling hook with. Or I, I need try to, to go... use that in real life. That guy really has Zelda logic. I know. I know. Yeah, I have to use like that. If you it's a thing. have a problem you can't solve, you're like, well, what would Link do in this? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I'm gonna go to George's house and I'm gonna bomb the wall. Yeah, that's usually what I solve my problems in life. 
You, what, you just say what would Link do, and then you just do it? Yeah, then I put on a bracelet, and I'm like, everything's better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good motto. I, I just throw boomerangs <laughs> at things, but that doesn't <laughs> right. quite, you know. Or I, like, sling well. a chain at something and pull it yeah. towards me and then murder it, I guess. I mean, yeah. you know, classic Link stuff. <laughs> right. These are, these are all real-life applications. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah. like, daily life for me. Yeah. yeah. And then we go fishing. <laughs> well, you know, of course. Yeah, gotta make sure you can get the cab back. I like that no one here picks something peaceful, like play an <laughs> ocarina. Well, you're all to each sick their own. And, yeah, right. I mean, if I want to play music, I'll play rock band. But you know, uh, I, I do have to. I do have to tell you this one story though about how awesome Maureen is because we were playing last night and. There's this one challenge that we get to where you have this this trainer guy and you have to hit him a hundred times with the sword before he can hit you three times. And I was, you know, starting to get the hang of it, but I was starting to, I was like failing repeatedly. And the girls were starting to uh, lose their patience with me a little bit. And then Maureen was just kind of in the other room and she comes in. She's like, let me let me let me have a chance. So, OK, fine. So she finds this completely different way to attack the guy and, and ends up clearing in like three attempts. And awesome. That is yeah. so cool. <laughs> so I'm sitting there struggling for 15 minutes. She's like, oh, here, give me the controller. And then she just kind of does it and then drops the mic and walks out. Oh, that's so. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. And then she just like goes off and like folds laundry as you're like standing yeah. there in shock, right? Yeah, it's like, here, here <laughs> you go. Lord. Here you Dude, go. This skill that I never thought. Yeah. Maureen's amazing. That's she is, so she is awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. So I, I had to give her a lot of props on that because... If you ever, like, have laryngitis or something, you should let Maureen host the show. I mean, even though she's never listened to it. It might be. I don't know. Maybe she'd do a better job than I would. And then you'd just oh, kick me off entirely. Steve. Oh, that's That's harsh. <laughs> we would pretend that the podcast was ending and then we'd secretly make another podcast that you never knew about. We'd be really nice oh. about it. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that is so harsh. Uh, okay. I want to ask. It's called bisymmetric. We would never Isometric do that. Too. Okay, am I the only one that ever looked up how to actually buy the the ocarina flute? Oh no, no I've looked that up. I've, but for I've like cosplay it, yeah. reasons, not you know. No, you reasons. can actually. There's there's a playable. Mm, yeah, that's like a real instrument. Exactly. Okay, I just did you get to know. one? I I it, it was really expensive. I'm waiting till they go down in price, but I've always wanted to have one just to stick with Rod the robot. Like, so that yeah. he looks like he's playing the flute. I just thought they're that'd be $25. Cute. I'm looking at one right now. Are you? Does it actually play, though? Yeah. Because then I, I want to learn how to use it. Georgia, I'm actually looking at one that's on Amazon. It's it's $65 and it comes with a songbook. So presumably you can actually. It's not the play plastic on. one, right? Because I don't want the plastic one. I don't you want, know. Like what, a wooden one? Look it up. This is really good radio. I'm glad we're. I'm glad we're all Google searching. Yeah, yeah we're Google Ocarina. searching Amazon. That's fantastic. Let's type, let's type Google into Google and see what happens. Anyway, so. Wait, wait I was going to get serenaded. No, you're not. <sighs> I think Georgia wants Fine. you to, to, uh, to play the Poké Rap on the Ocarina is what she wants you to do. Okay. I'll see, okay. I'll see if I can do that at the PAX panel. Okay. I'm going to do a lot of stuff at this panel. I feel like I'm signing on to do a lot of wacky stuff at this panel and nobody else is. And I'm okay with that. I'll just do all of it. I'll wear the pan hat. I'll play the ocarina. I'll do the poke rap. I'll ride in on a star slash pokeball. That's just cool. That's I'll just cool, do though. it. I'll just do it because my character on the show is a person who does weird things. And I think I think 
I think Brie should come out like with like a like through like a, a giant poster of like a pen. Yeah. And I think that she should like run yeah. and like smash through okay, it. Okay, that That's would be gotta incredible. Happen. That's that gotta happen? happen. I think that should just happen. I, I figured that that's just how Bree just kind of walks into all of her scrums every week. Because right. she just has a giant goes, Rev 60 poster that yeah. she just bursts oh, yeah. through. That sounds so cool. <laughs> if somebody like, makes us a giant poster, then Bree, will you jump through it? <laughs> okay. Okay. Challenge accepted. Then we need like like a bowl of like jello or something or like like ping pong what? balls or something to what? fall in. No, no jello wrestling, Georgia. That is completely inappropriate. <laughs> Why would you even suggest that? There's no jello wrestling at the PAX panel. I said jello wrestling. <laughs> you said somebody would fall into it. Okay, but there's. Wait, I don't know how you went to wrestling. I was, I was thinking of something pure. And you were like uh-huh. my like ping pong balls or like something like that would be like a splash or something. All right, before before Georgia signs us up for anything anything else uh, tawdry, we better wrap up the show. Swear uh, to me. <laughs> uh, so we want to thank some of the people who uh, who were tweeting about the show this week. Uh, GabbyTron83, Scion Wex, uh, Jack Triple U, uh, Dev Ronis, uh, The Master DS, Taylor Hicklin, Ice Potato, uh, Ink George, TM Trains, Thane1982, Kloopful, uh, Lead Miniature, uh, Cypher of Tear, Were Rogue, uh, Felmina Games, uh, Devin Pulas- Pulaski, The Joe Duvall, C. Strawber, Bad Asperger, and everybody else who uh, tweeted about the show this week. Thank you so much. There were a ton of you talking about the show this week. And, and we really do appreciate Yay. you spreading the word and, and telling other people about the show. It really does, does mean a lot that you, you know, think enough about us to recommend us to other people. And, Ice and that, potato. Yeah. Ice potato? Yeah. Yes. Ice, ice potato. Oh, no. Don't, don't, don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Please don't go there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, sorry, I've been driving in a car for six hours. It's been like 12 <laughs> hours we've been in a car. I'm so sorry. i just woken up. And if you want to leave a five-star review about George's terrible Ice Ice Baby uh, <laughs> parody. Ice you can... Ice Baby? It was... <laughs> it was so so bad it was Thank good, just like Jupiter Ascending. Um, so I'll you let can you rate serenade and re- me again now. You could rate and review the show on <laughs> iTunes, uh, and, and we do appreciate that. It helps us, uh, it helps us get visibility for the show. Uh, you can also uh, find the show notes for this show at every show at 5x5.tv slash isometric or at isometricshow.com. Uh, you can send uh, feedback via email to feedback at isometricshow.com. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. The show's account is at isometricshow. Um, I am at Wicked Good. And Brie, where can people find you? So look beyond the snowbank <laughs> and, then, and then get past the snowbank and then look for the office that's under the pile of snow and then follow the north on star the inside. yes <laughs> piled underneath piles of snow <laughs> like do you guys realize right now if my dog just like if i let them in the backyard they could just like walk over the gate and the pile of snow out <laughs> in the street like that's so that's how oh, crazy no. it is right now yeah no um also i will be at pax east so okay it's gonna be good I, it's not just this panel i have another panel with uh kim swift that i'm really excited about and, and where are you on twitter brie oh uh space cat gal okay. i think yeah <laughs> and maddie where can people <laughs> find question, you really sorry destroying <laughs> with the city of Boston with a flamethrower at Samus clone and Georgia. 
You can find me at Georgia underscore Dow. So uh, thank you, as always, for listening, and we will catch you next week. Have a good one. Dow,